Hi, I'm Mickey Lowe. Hi, I'm Bishop Todd. And welcome Welcome to to the C4SO Podcast. Podcast. Well, hello, listeners. A warm welcome. My name is Mickey, and today we have a very exciting installment of the C4SO Podcast, as this week marks the week of our 10th anniversary as a diocese. So today we're joined by some of the founding members of C4SO. And we're eager to get the stories flowing and helping us take this trip down memory lane are Jed Roseberry of Restoration in Dallas and Kimberly Filer, C4SO Ombudsman. And of course, the person who started it all, Bishop Todd Hunter. Welcome, everybody. Give yourself like a little round of applause. We need a cheers track. We of cheers here, like an audience with a sign that goes on. Like a laughing track. Yeah, that's right. Awesome. Yes. Add that to the list, Eric. Maybe we get that in the future. (laughs) But let's maybe set the scene a little bit. So Bishop Todd, it's 2008. You're not even Anglican. You get a call from Bishop Chuck Murphy of the Anglican Mission in America asking for your help planting churches. Yeah. Tell us how that connection happened and what, what that conversation was like and what made you say yes, most importantly. Yeah, I I wrote about this more carefully in my book, The Accidental Anglican, but my story with Anglicanism really starts when I'm very young with John Wimber and with English, evangelical, kind of charismatic Anglicans in the Church of England. Mm -hmm. And I met many of those leaders uh, when I was young, of course, read Stott and Packer and later read, you know, Leslie Newbegin and even later than that, Tom Wright. But when I think about this story, interesting enough, I actually think of Christchurch Overland Park because I started going there before I was an Anglican because they had really? such a great Alpha course. And I was mm. president of Alpha in the years of 2003 or four to 2008. Right. And so I had met the staff there, loved the church. And it actually was um, Patrick's predecessor, Ron McCrary, together with another C4SO rector named Tony Barron, mm-hmm. who um, introduced me to the powers that be at the Anglican Church in North America. Mm. And it started with Tony Barron actually asking me to come to Carlsbad, California to plant a daughter church out of his church in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And then Ron McCrary hearing about that and going, no way, you're kidding. You're thinking about being Anglican. And then I think it was Ron who connected the Anglican Mission in the Americas to me. So yes, when, okay. when Chuck Murphy said to me, I'll never forget it as long as I live. Hey, Todd, do you think you could help us figure out how to make vineyard-like Anglican churches in California. I now realize that vineyard-like Anglican is an oxymoron. I didn't know it at the time, <laughs> yeah. but I kind of knew what Chuck meant. He really meant right. sort of like Alpha or HTB or, you know, he meant to, by using the word vineyard, he meant to highlight things like contemporary worship and right. evangelism and mission and spirit and that sort of thing. So I, I said yes, thinking I was getting a consulting job. No. <laughs> I had no idea I would ever become uh, an Anglican, much less an Anglican bishop. Nikki Gumbel teased me once that I became bishop faster than anybody in the history of the church. Oh I doubt gosh. that that's true, but it's probably true-ish. Mm. So yeah, that's my story. I, I thought I was I was um, coming into this thing to um, to create, you know, like, uh, I guess I would say sort of alpha-like Anglican churches. Okay, so let's fast forward then to 2013. So the conversation about a proposed new diocese begins with Archbishop Duncan, right? So tell us a little bit about your relationship with the Archbishop and why he had a sort of vested interest in starting a new diocese. 
there's a, I guess, an unfortunate uh, aspect of this story in that um, when the Anglican Mission in the Americas was disassociating from uh, the Anglican Church in Rwanda, all of us who were in the Anglican Mission at the time, which was a lot of people, I forget how many churches and how many clergy, but a lot, um, were all being um, told by uh, the Archbishop of Rwanda that, um, you know, this um, disassociation was going to happen and we all needed to choose where we're going to go. So myself and a number of other, um, at the time, Anglican Mission in the Americas bishops started talking to what's now ACNA, which meant we were talking to Bob Duncan and just trying to figure out what to do and, and discern what to do. And that's, as my memory serves me, how we ended up at uh, the fellowship hall in Jed's church to have this conversation about, mm. okay, what, what do we do here? What does it mean to, to join ACNA and what could that look like? Mm, yeah. So that actually leads me to my next question, which is for you, Jed. Uh, the yeah. first, the very first C4SO interest meeting was, was held at your church. So tell us about your memories of that day. What was it like? Yeah. So that day, it, it was a special day. Um, I would say the first, this first C4SO interest meeting that was held at our church restoration. Um, I remember it to be an exciting and certainly a memorable day. Um, the meeting was marked by a sense of kind of this anticipation and curiosity, all kind of bundled up together with this expectation of the Holy Spirit moving in a powerful way and um, advancing the kingdom of God. And, and I do, I remember the atmosphere being filled with this, this excitement, um, this en en emphasis on the kingdom of God and our role in its advancement, which kind of really is certainly ignited our passion uh, for all of us. But my only regret is that I didn't get a picture of that day. And, and there might oh, be something <laughs> floating around out there yeah. that one of us has. Um, and I would love to have it. And I'm maybe, maybe C4 or so would love to have it too. But yeah. I, I do. Yeah, let's put it out one. there. If anyone has any photos, please reply right? to us. Right? Anybody here? Yes, we, we need to yes, kind of because dig we didn't deep have our... Andrea. We didn't have a communications director. Yeah, Otherwise, trust you should have me, had an Andrea. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. But this was just kind of a thought, a hope, and a dream. But yeah. but I do have to admit, like May first, two thousand nine, Todd published a book, Christianity Beyond Beliefs. Right, following Jesus for the sake of others, mm -hmm. and I would say that that was pretty much the catalyst and certainly the backdrop to the meeting and the formation of this C4SO diocese. Mm -hmm. And we had all read it. And really those of us who were sitting around the room or sitting around the table, we were not only challenged by Todd's book, but it also inspired us in a, in a very tangible way, an invitation to move beyond kind of the mere intellect acceptance of Christianity and really embrace that transformative life of discipleship. And that was it, mm, right? Yeah. And I think that central theme of living for the sake of others, emphasizing that discipleship of Jesus, that we are called to be an extension of God's love, his compassion, his service to those around them, and, and you know, administering the sacraments as well. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. so... Like, who wouldn't want to be a part of that conversation? Right. Um, it really was 
an exciting time. And I do recognize that moment where the Holy Spirit's power and that invitation to welcome his presence into our lives brought this sense of expectancy and openness mm-hmm. among those who were attending. Yeah. That's so powerful. And it's so true. And I can say that even now, 10 years later, this vision is still very much alive. The spirit is still empowering this, this work and this movement. So that, mm-hmm. that is really, really encouraging to hear. I think one of the things that was really formative for Travis and I when we stepped out into planting with C4SO was this very idea that we want to see what God is doing in Tampa. And if God is doing something, then we want to be a part of that. And that has been really built into the way that Travis and I have thought about planting, the way that we've gone about planting. And I think it's really shaped the way that we do ministry in general, because we've been offered this framework of casting this vision for, let's see what the spirit is doing. And we want to be a part of that rather than us just going, well, we want to plant a church or we want to do whatever. It's more about what what is God doing and how is he drawing people to himself? And how can we enter into this work? So I think that's been really formative in the way that we do ministry. It's formative in the ways that people have, you know, found our church to be and and they love our diocese. And it's new to a lot of us. A lot of the folks at our church uh, have never been Anglican before, but it's this really amazing vision that I think uh, this diocese has casted for us as church planters. And it's set us up to do ministry in this way. Um, so yeah, the, the values that you all started with in the beginning, I think have carried on to now and it's still working Mm -hmm. in the lives of God's people. So that, that's really encouraging. I'm remembering Todd. Um, so I, I, at the, at the time was at, uh, St. James Anglican church in San Jose, California. We had come out of the Episcopal church and, um, and been part of the formation from the ACNA from the time it was the ACN. Um, and so we were part of the Diocese of Pittsburgh, we had spent a lot of time with um, folks like um, Archbishop Duncan and his and his team. Mm -hmm. And um, and so we got this letter from um, the archbishop that asked us to who was at the time a bishop, not an archbishop, asking us to prayerfully consider um, Bishop Todd as our bishop. Mm -hmm. And we're like, wait a minute, we just got here like we just got to the place. (laughs) Uh, yeah. We just got our home, and we had been to this. Uh, we had been to the Diocese of Pittsburgh and had this awesome convention, and it just it it was so welcoming and it's such a relief. Mm. And so yeah. um, I was on the executive committee. I was not ordained at the time, and so I remember the conversation with Cindy Stansbury and Taylor Stansbury and Ed McNeil, um, and we're and and uh, Greg. He's he's not in the uh, he's not in our uh, diocese anymore, but. And we all sat around the table with with Todd on a Saturday morning on a screen. And Zoom calls were like, nobody did Zoom calls at the time. Mm, It was pretty rare. So we had Todd on Zoom. And we were just grilling him. We're like, who is this guy that wants to come in here? And um, he totally, like in 15 minutes, won us over. We're like, we were trying to think of hard questions at that point, you know, (laughs) trying to think of reasons not to join. and and, And Todd was like, you know, let me just say this, like, you don't have to join. Like you don't have to be part of this. We don't, I don't need another church to supervise. If this isn't what God is calling (laughs) calling you to, you know, we'll just part as friends and everything will be Mm. fine. And we're like, no, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) 
because it was it, it's such a um, it's such a compelling vision mm. that it's at the heart of um, the reason why we're all in this. And mm. uh, and so we were won over very quickly and it's been a wonderful relationship. That's awesome. I can remember in my discernment committee meeting, which Jed chaired, nice. um, Jed said, do you consider yourself a church planter? And I said, no, I'm not a church planter. And, um, and I've always remembered that because I haven't been at an established church in since I think mm. 20. Oh, oh, shoot. Nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and so actually, think, actually, you probably do have the gift mix to have planted a church in an earlier life. Yes. And here we are, you know, now here, James and I are planting together. So Still pl- um, with a plant. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, it's my jam. So awesome. And I wouldn't have known it if I'd been part of, probably if I'd been part of a more, a different diocese, it would have been a different journey. Mm. That is awesome. And can I just say, we're really grateful as planters and in my whole cohort of planters that we're, we're so grateful for those of you who have taken the time to uh, counsel us and invest in us as we do this, you know, mm-hmm. as folks who have been doing this for a long time, who have been, you know, a part of the diocese for a decade now, we really trust your expertise and we're grateful for just all the ways that you uh, support the plants that are still being planted today. So it, there's so, so many things I could say about our gratitude. Um, but maybe taking it back a little bit, back to 2013. Uh, this is, we're on a show to house. It's official. What was the hope of this new adventure, Todd? And what sort of stories come to your mind from those early days? Yeah. Well, um, one of the stories that comes to mind was we had a really awkward footprint of like Kimberly said, Northern California, Southern California, Texas, Mm, um, Overland park anchored us to the Midwest and then I think probably like TJ, if I'm remembering right, would have anchored us to the Southeast. I think this was even before yeah. Chris. Um, so we had this kind of awkward footprint and we, we didn't know what it was going to mean in the future. And Bob and I would talk about it, uh, Archbishop Duncan. And, um, you know, we, we had like plan, we had like ideas of what, what it could mean, but here we are 10 years into it and we still haven't figured out exactly what it might mean in the future. It probably means something in the future, but we don't know exactly what yet. But I think what was exciting to me um, was something that just uh, has always felt like settled and solid in me and and feels like a continuous string. And that is just my commitment to, um, you know, what's sometimes just called missional church. Or for me, putting it differently, um, if people are tired of that phrase, is just what does it mean to be the people of God in 2023? And what's... Mm-hmm. God doing it's similar to what you were saying, Nikki, or what Kimberly has said as well, just like what's God up to in the earth and, uh, and sort of the big picture and what's he up to in smaller pictures in our communities and how do we join him there? And as soon as you say that, well, the, you're then making central things like the person and work of the spirit. You're making central the biblical story and you're making central raising up leaders and discipling people. So a lot of things get like this big gravitational pull. Mm-hmm. as soon as you center the kingdom. Right. And I'm sometimes misunderstood that, well, does that mean that I'm not, you know, enthusiastic about denominations or more poignantly my denomination? And of course, no, I'm very thankful to be an Anglican and I can't imagine myself being anything other than an Anglican, but I think I'm the best sort of Anglican 
when I'm focused first on God and his kingdom. Mm-hmm. So that I think has yeah. been the big idea that's tried to govern us. And when we act at our best, we act in coherence with that. But, you know, we're human mm-hmm. beings and we're not perfect. But that's the big idea that I remember is, okay, now how can we go about growing a diocese that mm-hmm. um, embodies right. these this set of values and theological right. commitments? Mm, excellent. So I have one more question for you all, and I'd love to hear each of you just a little bit and kind of hear your thoughts on how you've seen C4SO change and grow into who we are today. So why don't we start with you, Kimberly, and then we'll go to Trish and then Jed. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you've seen and what you've witnessed in the past decade. Yeah. No, it's been it's been amazing and a privilege to to watch um, the diocese grow. You know, when when we started, we were, you know, a loose confederation of um, churches who who came from a lot of different um, scenarios and backgrounds. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, there were some who had left the Episcopal Church, some who were new church plants and some that were established non-denominational churches. And so but we all had that shared um, vision of serving Christ and um and of and of creating communities that would put mission first and so um so we were this great uh this great tribe and and we sort of stood on the shoulders of giants um in a lot of ways when we we just can't thank you know people like archbishop duncan enough mm-hmm. and yeah. um and mary hayes who was his canon to the ordinary yeah. um for their encouragement of bishop todd in the first place um, and then people like uh, David Roseberry and um, Ed McNeil, who helped, you know, craft um, the kinds of mechanisms that we needed to work together, like bring order to this uh, uh, to this group and sort of cast an aspirational vision for um, for what would come for Tony Barron, who um, who was uh, such a pastoral leader and a gift mm-hmm. um, in so many of the managing the situations, you know, there's always, as you're growing, there's always some sort of friction or, or um, difficult situations. And Tony was always, you know, our phone a friend as we were uh, putting those things together. On the basis of all of those things, I think what we've seen is an evolution from this, this tribe, this cohort into, um, into a diocese, which is meant to be a home. It's meant to be a home for churches and congregations and leaders with the ability to um, develop and raise those, um, those people and equip them into uh, what they need in order to serve Christ in those communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, um, it's, it's saying something that now when someone feels that they're called to ministry, that they know how to, what that path looks like and how to accomplish right. it. I'm so glad Amy is, um, Amy is running that now. Um, it means a lot that we know how to handle a lot of different kinds of challenges. Um, we're not, you know, inventing it as we go along and that mm-hmm. I think we've accomplished some amazing things like the bylaws that, um, Bishop Todd and others led this most recent um, set of bylaws that we have is really a contribution, I think, to the entire ACNA in the sense that Bishop Todd always said that um, our processes are the means through which we love one another. They're the ways that we do it. Mm -hmm. And our bylaws reflect that they are um, thin enough and flexible enough 
that they allow us to pivot and adapt. Um, but they have the, the sort of boundaries and rules that help us to be good neighbors and live in community well. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's what I think um, is amazing. Like it, it would have been easy for Bishop Todd to be the leader of a tribe of people, but as the leader of a diocese, he's really led the um, development of some particularly innovative um, structures that help mm-hmm. us to live into our vision. Mm, I would agree with that. That's awesome. Jed, what about you? What do you think? Over the years, how have you seen C4SO change and grow into who we are today? You know, um, Todd said something years ago, which I think he was quoting to Hells Willard. Um, but he said something that I think has really played out in beautiful ways throughout the 10 years. And he said that um, the kingdom of God is never threatened. Mm-hmm. And um, it really kind of allowing those words to kind of just um, move into our hearts, it, it in a sense gave us permission to kind of lay down those banners of crusades that we all kind of carry and actually um, love people where they are with an expectation that the Holy Spirit is drawing them closer to his presence. And so I think having that, it had a, an emphasis of the kingdom growth Mm -hmm. of the kingdom of God, there was this recognition of the Holy Spirit moving in a powerful way in big stories, big narratives, and small narratives. Mm -hmm. There was even this this commitment to formation, um, which Mm -hmm. has continued to expand and to grow, and even Mm -hmm. kind of this missional orientation where we do church for the sake of others, Mm -hmm. and then the kind of back that up as as kind of the the main thrust uh, for the last 10 years of being kind of this sacramental expression as well. Mm -hmm. So all of those five elements of kingdom growth and Holy Spirit and Christian formation and missional orientation and sacramental expression allowed us to to realize the kingdom of God's never threatened. God's Mm -hmm. not threatened by us. But I think he delights I think it delights when his people gather and do his work for the sake of the gospel. Hmm. Amen. Something that I've recognized as I look back um, over the last 10 years, um, I think this is a shift that has to happen for organizations to be healthy, but it doesn't always happen. And like, sometimes you just, you try, but you, you don't make it. So I honestly don't mean this like to be humble or something. I think obviously in the beginning, you know, this had to do with me and, you know, I pulled it together and cast the vision and blah, blah, blah. But the absolute God's honest truth is that at some point in the last 10 years, probably starting four or five, six years ago, um, the real glue that held us together was the values that Jed just enumerated more and more. Mm. It was less about me and more and more about the values. And then around a similar time and certainly ramping up over the last three or four or five years has been, we attract so many good leaders and then leaders attract leaders. So Mm -hmm. this really is not very much to do about me personally at all anymore. I was a spark plug. I'm glad to have played that role. But at this point, this is about something way bigger than me. There's an us-ness that there couldn't have been when we were together for the first time in Jed's foyer slash fellowship hall. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it was impossible <laughs> to have a strong withness then. Yeah. But we have it now, really strong. We have a strong adherence to a vision and values, a kind of a way of being together, and that that's then attractive to leaders and leaders attract leaders. So yep. there's a there's kind of a synergy happening here that is um, very different than 10 years ago. Hmm. So I don't know if I can do this well off the top of my head, but I'm going to give it a shot. This is what I mean about just so many leaders. I mm-hmm. mean, on the screen in front of me is Kimberly, who's now our ombudsman. Nobody mm-hmm. even used that term 10 years <laughs> ago. And just think of all that we have now with Jen Cho leading Revelation 7-9 mm-hmm. and Aaron Buttery leading uh, the next gen. And um, I'm so excited about what J.R. Roscoe's doing with missional innovation. We got Brad doing church planning and Chris doing adoptions and the diaspora um, network. And we've Shout got out. diaspora and we've got um, Kimberly Deckel helping all of our women. We mm-hmm. have so many ordained women and I'm sorry if I forgot somebody, but you just, it makes my point. There are so yeah. many really great leaders yeah. in C4SO now. Our canon theologians. I mean, yes, that's, yes. thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how so would I? Yes. You saw Scott, um, Emily and Dennis Ockholm mm-hmm. out in California. Our yeah, deans. Our deans. Yeah. I mean, none of this existed 10 years ago. And mm-hmm. that's what I meant earlier. I, so you can see that I'm not just being nice. Like this is real. <laughs> And, you know, that's, that doesn't even count, you know, people we call staff who are also leaders like Patrick Wildman, who is a huge help for me in understanding our ever more complicated finances. And um, we've got Eric, who's behind this podcast all the time. And we didn't have to have an administrator 10 years ago. Well, now we have a full-time administrator. Mm. And Kimberly, you know, because you were in on the design of this coming out of the marketing world that the development of our digital footprint um, mm-hmm. with you and then you handing it off to Andrea Willits. Um, what we do in communications is, I think, um, as good as anybody does. Um, so there's just so much talent and people who are anointed by God and been given gifts. And it's I, I just have fun being part of the team. Mm, bliss and men. Yeah, I got bliss doing images artwork and, and photos. Kim, I, I always tell Andrea, her and her team makes us look a lot better than we actually are. <laughs> so that whole communications team with men and bliss and oh yeah, there's yeah. just so many people who help us do what we do. Awesome. All right, Mickey. So you, you know, usually we work together. Today yeah. I was I was working for you. I was I was working for a living on yeah. the other side of the microphone. Yeah. So now I'm gonna turn it around and make you work on the other side. It's for a only minute. fair. So you and Travis are, you know, you're newish and, you know, went through the church planning cohort with Brad. And as you mm-hmm. said, worked with Trish, I think, on mm-hmm. ordination and yep. Chris and sort of the adoption part of it. Mm-hmm. So like, what's been your experience as somebody who's experienced this in kind of our ninth and 10th year rather yeah. than the first year? Yeah. So Travis and I actually visited Chris McDaniel's church, Trinity ah, Atlanta, okay. on our honeymoon uh, about four years right. ago. So okay. we we visited and we had already started sensing kind of the pull toward the Anglican tradition. Travis was raised mm-hmm. uh, in the Episcopal Church. And yeah. so we kind of were finding ourselves drawn back to that um, liturgical background or tradition expression. But we had never seen a church that had done such a great job integrating the evangelical, liturgical, and charismatic. So we were yeah. really fascinated by the three streams expression of worship. Mm-hmm. And that really gave us a vision for what a church in our city might look like. And so when we started looking into Trinity Atlanta, and then 
C4SO and the whole network of churches, we just found um, that there is such a passion for orthodoxy. There's a passion for justice. There's a passion for mission, and it's all woven together. Um, And we knew that a church like this, that was a part of a network like this, would be a really compelling witness in our city, so in Tampa. So we were just really, uh, we loved that. And what started as like one email, we emailed Chris. He was our very first touch point. We said, hey, uh, we're not Anglicans, but we want to be. Also, we think God might be calling us to planting, but we've never done that before. Do you guys, Mm. do you take people like us? Um, And he said, let's talk. And so that started a whole series of conversations about planting, about ordination. And, you know, here we are. Um, but the, like I said earlier, the mindset was, let's see if the spirit is doing something. And if he is, we'll come alongside and, and that's led to where we are. So we we're just so grateful for the leadership of C4SO. We're grateful for, uh, these processes, like Kimberly was saying, the just, and the support really never have we felt so supported by other churches in our network, other leaders, um, and just the amount of time that you all invest in us and come alongside us. And and we were scared planting a church. We were like, sure, yeah. we've never done this before, but we feel really strongly that God's calling us. And, you know, this team of people have uh, given us the green light. We're afraid we're going to be alone. And that has just not been the case. Mm-hmm. We have never felt more connected or more cared for. So uh, great that, job, you guys. You. We're grateful for your work. And, and it is just really amazing to be a part of what you all started a decade ago. Can you believe it? So let's look toward the future real quick. So maybe just um, I'll let you guys say a couple things about what gives you hope for the next 10 years and, and or more, Lord willing, of the future of C4SO. So, Jed, let's talk a little bit about the future. What are your hopes? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think the, the, in the DNA, the church planting DNA is cured in the foundation of C4SO. So I want to see more church plants. I want to see them far and wide. Um, it's exciting. I think it creates, it's innovative. It's, it, it raises all the boats. It, it does so much for the church in general, but then also for God's kingdom. So for mm-hmm. come one, come all yes. church planters. You're the best. All right, Kimberly. Well, I, I would agree with everything everybody else has said, but uh, I'd like to add just a the hope of the fruition of the vision that Aaron Buttery is leading, um, mm. where, you know, our church plants is in 10 years, we'll have people who were born and baptized in our church plants who yeah. will then be mm-hmm. leaders. Yes. And, um, and so I love the way Aaron's vision helps churches equip them from an early age and yeah. gives them a vision for the church. So I look forward to seeing that and, uh, and, you know, the rest of us being the ones uh, sitting in the back um, enjoying the, enjoying the fruits. Mm. Yeah, that's a good thought, Kimberly. And um, Aaron would be mad at me for not being able to get, I mean, playfully mad at me for not being able to get this exactly right. But Kimberly, you're right. He starts working with like, I want to say like 14, 15, 16 year olds. Middle school. Starting starting Mm -hmm. to help them discover their gifts and maybe Mm -hmm. vocation and uh, aiming them at things like church planning or missions or whatever it is. So if you marry that together with the work that like um, JR is doing with missional innovation, and then again mm-hmm. with, you know, Brad and Chris, it, there's a little engine there that could, it, it's still yeah. a little engine, you know, um, you know, 
speaking modestly, it is. We're, you know, we're, we're not the greatest thing in, in the world. Still a little engine, but there's a couldness there that I think is being driven by those sorts of things. Yeah. And that, that bodes well for the future for me, all those yeah. things put together. Well, and the other thing that I think is critical in the, in the future of our country and our communities um, is that C4SO, and, and Todd, it's been a privilege to be beside you um, as, you've, um, as you've been given this vision and lived into, the, into it, that C4SO has been, become a place where people who might otherwise be marginalized by the church are able to step in and be leaders. And that's, we know that's going to be increasingly important in our country. You know, uh, 10 years from now, we know that a lot of our communities are going to be different and our country will be facing and our world will be facing some, what we expect to be some pretty big challenges and to have, to be, to be a place where we've raised up these leaders that have different perspectives, diverse backgrounds and ethnicities and genders and are able to then be um, bring in innovative ideas and fresh voices. Um, I think you've done an amazing thing in creating this community, and I look forward to see how that helps us in the future. Well, thank you all so much for joining me today. It is, like I said, so encouraging to hear the stories of the Spirit calling each of you and you saying yes and living in obedience and to see what that has done for me personally, for the folks at my church, for the other parishes in our network, we're, we're grateful for your obedience. We are very encouraged and we are so excited to celebrate C4SO's 10 year anniversary. Woo! Yes. We already had our cake at the clergy conference, but yeah, that's that's all right. We'll have another. (laughs) Thank you guys. Thanks so much for tuning in to the C4SO podcast. If you like what you heard, please feel free to share this episode and subscribe and leave a review. It helps us to get the word out. Thanks.